Hi, everyone. Before we jump into today's bonus episode, I wanted to say a big thank you for tuning in. So many of you have reached out and asked, how can I support Behind the Smile? Well, there's a couple of ways. The first thing you can do is hit the follow button on whatever app you listen to the show on. The second thing you can do is share this podcast with three friends. The more people that follow this podcast, the higher it ranks and the more people we can reach with these stories. From the bottom of my heart, I thank you in advance. Now let's kick off this week's episode. Welcome to Behind the Smile with Ash Butters, a podcast designed to reveal the truth behind the masks we wear. Together, we look to demystify the human mind and its behaviours in relation to mental health, trauma and addiction. My name's Ash and I'll be your host as we uncover the real stories of people's pain and the steps they've taken to live a life of freedom in recovery. From sobriety to spirituality, join me each week as we uncover the reasons why people seek recovery and how their lives have changed by living one day at a time. Hello, hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Smile. We're doing things a little bit different today. This is a bonus episode, surprise. It's been a while since I have come on here and recorded a solo episode and there's also been a lot going on right now. So I thought, why not? Let's jump on so that I can fill you all in on what's been happening in my world. So to kick things off, last week I was up on the Gold Coast attending the Australia and New Zealand Addiction Conference, which was an incredible experience. There were some phenomenal speakers talking on a range of different topics, and I was able to connect with a few great speakers who are going to be coming on the podcast, which is very exciting. But the opening talk was actually from Dr. Gabor Mate. For those of you who have listened to previous episodes, I am a huge fan of Dr. Marte's work. He is a physician who specializes in childhood development trauma, and he's written a number of books on a range of different topics from ADHD to addiction to chronic illness. So his most recent book, The Myth of Normal, is a fantastic read and it really starts to unpack how our experiences in childhood, particularly in those developmental years, how they impact our development into adulthood and how this can lead to conditions such as ADHD or chronic illness as well. And he came on and he spoke to us for about 90 minutes, which was such an incredible experience to hear him talk. And he spoke about addiction and trauma predominantly. And what I loved first and foremost was his definition of addiction, being that addiction is manifested in any behavior where a person finds temporary relief, but can't stop despite the negative consequences. And I think that's a really interesting way to look at addiction And when we look at addiction with that lens, I think it lends itself to really broadening the term and understanding that addiction is not necessarily just addiction to drugs or addiction to alcohol. We can be addicted in relationships. We can be addicted to process addictions, whether that's our phones or maybe it's food. And I think when you start to 
open and broaden that concept of addiction, it, it leaves room for more compassion and more understanding. So I was really grateful for him to, to share his definition. I thought that was a really great way to frame it. And the other thing he was talking about was this idea of trauma. The word trauma is, it's being spoken about a lot today, which is fantastic. And that's part of this podcast is to remove the stigma around mental health, addiction and trauma. And the way he defined trauma was also really interesting. He was saying that trauma is a psychological wound that hasn't healed. So the way he defines it is, say you experienced a trauma in childhood that may have been a form of sexual abuse. That in and of itself is the traumatic experience. But he says the trauma is actually the internal wound that it leaves. And it's that wound that needs healing for us to be able to move on. Now, the interesting thing is if we don't process the trauma as children, then what happens is we store that trauma within the body. But not only that, we start to disconnect. So as children, we need to feel safe and we need to be in an environment where we can be vulnerable and free to experience all ranges of emotion. And when we're not allowed to experience those core emotions, we start to disconnect. Now, the danger with disconnecting from our core emotions is that as we grow up, we start to look to other ways to find that connection. And that's where addiction can play out. He was also explaining how children have this inherent need for love and for authenticity. And he was saying that authenticity is defined by being able to express all emotions, again, having that safe environment to do so. So when you grow up in an environment where it's not safe to express those emotions, say, for instance, if you were told it's not okay to cry, then you start to develop a story that you carry on into adulthood where you don't cry. Now, we know that crying is actually a really important way to be able to release and process emotion. So if you're not crying, then you're most likely storing that inside the body. And then again, we start to develop that discomfort and that dis-ease, which then leads us to want to create intensity outside of ourselves. And the final thing he said on addiction is that the addiction itself, so whether that is alcoholism, whether you're addicted to drugs, whatever it may be, he says that that is the secondary response to a primary issue. And the primary issue is that which we're trying to numb out from, the trauma itself. So if you yourself have an addiction, the first thing that he would ask you to do is to question why the pain. And he famously says his mantra is, don't ask why the addiction, ask why the pain? Like I said, it was a really, really fascinating conversation to be able to witness. And if you haven't read Dr. Mate's work, I highly encourage you to go check out some of his books. I'll pop those in the episode show notes. They are fascinating. Now, if you follow me on Instagram, you will have seen that over the weekend, I had a total pinch me moment. Last weekend, I attended a Gabby Bernstein workshop at the Melbourne Town Hall. Now, for those of you who don't follow Gabby, Gabby is a spiritual teacher, a motivational speaker, and she's also a fellow woman in recovery. Now, I was first drawn to Gabby's work 
a number of years ago when I was still living in Sydney and I was still drinking and drugging at the time. And I remember I was just broken. I was searching for an answer, but I didn't know where to look. I wasn't ready to give up drinking. And so the idea of getting sober at the time just seemed unfathomable. But I was very much seeking. I was, I was trying to find answers outside of myself. And so I went down different paths and I discovered Gabby Bernstein's work. And, you know, I think at the time I sort of describe it as I was spiritually bankrupt. I was looking for something to fill that God-shaped hole inside me, but I didn't know where to go. Anyway, I found her work and I was reading her books and I remember sitting on my bed in my two-bedroom apartment with my highlighter and my pen and I read Super Attractor and I read The Universe Has Your Back and I just remember firstly really identifying with her story. She talks openly about her own struggles with addiction in those books and I remember you know, I think at the time, like it just planted the seed. I wasn't ready to get sober yet, but it was certainly one of those moments where I was looking at this woman, someone whom I admired, and I was like, wow, it is possible. And the other thing that happened from reading these books was not only did I start to develop an affirmation practice, which was incredibly powerful, and I would write little notes, or I'd have post-it notes on the inside of my mirror, in my wardrobe, and in the bathroom, So I started this affirmation practice, but the other thing that started to happen was I started to develop a concept of a higher power. And at that stage, I didn't really know what it was. I just knew that there was something out there greater than me that was guiding me. And I was leaning into that and I was handing it over and I was trying to surrender as best I could. And like I said, I think this truly was the planting of a seed within my mind that later led me down the road of getting sober. And it's so crazy. If you'd told me back then when I was sitting on my bed with my highlighters, feeling just completely broken, spiritually bankrupt and just looking for an answer. If you had told that Ash that in just a few years time, not only would I be sober, but I would be sitting on stage with Gabby Bernstein I just there's no way I would have believed you. But that that's the miracle of what happens in recovery and you know, to just take a moment to actually pause and say that out loud. I'm not sure that it's sunk in yet. And I can fall into a trap of always racing and running through life and not actually stopping to smell the roses. And through this experience, I've, I've actually really forced myself just to sit back and to acknowledge this experience. So how did it all come about? Well, back in January, I actually did Gabby's 30-day manifesting challenge, which was incredible. And I highly recommend that for anybody who is thinking about stepping into the world of manifestation. She does a brilliant challenge, which you can follow. And as part of that challenge, I really started to put out to the universe my hopes and my desires. And it was so crazy. Part of the process, it was about halfway in, she encourages you to ask the universe for a sign. And I remember writing in my journal and I had asked the universe to show me if I was on the right track with everything that I'm doing in my life today, working in the recovery space, my mission to remove the stigma around trauma, addiction and mental health. I wanted to know if I was following the right path. And so I asked the universe because she tells you to get very specific. And so I asked the universe to show me if I was on the right track, please show me a butterfly. 
Now, I'm not joking you. The next day, I walked back into my apartment and there was a butterfly in the living room. None of the windows were open. I like I cannot tell you how this happened, but there it was in front of my eyes. And I just remember that, that the feeling that I had inside was like this deep inner knowing that I was on the right path. And so when I then found out that Gabby was touring Australia, I knew that I had to be there. So I bought my ticket and I went along. Now, I went into this workshop with absolutely no expectation. I was just relishing in the opportunity to be able to sit within her sphere and to learn from her, to listen to her teachings. But this is the crazy thing that I've now learned is when you tell the universe yes, when you consciously make the decision to show up for yourself, then the universe responds. So as a result of saying yes and turning up to that workshop, a total God job happened where I ended up being invited on stage to join Gabby for her Dear Gabby segment. And I had the opportunity to ask her a question. And what I asked her was something that I've been trying to get my head around recently. And it's something that has come up for me having celebrated my three-year sober anniversary in February I found that I was reflecting a lot on where my life is today and thinking about what I lost as a result of my addiction. And for me, a lot of that was time. And whilst I am not sitting in the wreckage of my past, I have been reflecting on it. And I've said this time and time again recently on the podcast, there's this crazy thing where the longer I'm sober, the more I realize, the less I know. And that is in relation to the really big picture questions as well. So what I mean by that is at 35 years of age, I am now less clear on whether or not I want to be a mother. There are these things that I thought I knew the answers to. And now my perspective of life has shifted so greatly that I'm having to reevaluate and reassess all of these things. And it's really scary. Another big question is, whether or not to continue down this path of purpose and this passion of the space of work that I'm in, or do I go back to the safety of a corporate job? Again, these are just questions that pop up for me. And I know that this is really, really normal, but I think for the first time in my life having choice, it's almost an overwhelming sense of responsibility. And there is a crippling fear of getting it wrong So I asked Gabby, I said, how do you grapple with this sense of time having lost so much time in addiction? And her simple response was that there is no time and that all we really have is today. And I thought that was really beautiful. And the question that she posed to me is, what are you doing today? What are you doing for your recovery? What are you doing to help another human being in recovery? And she was very much emphasizing to not put a time restriction or a time constraint on your life. She reminded me of the saying that when we try to plan, God laughs. And I really do love that. And she was sharing how that in her own experience, when she's allowed life to happen for her in a state of flow, her experience is that things are greater than she could have possibly planned or anticipated And the final thing she said was to continue carrying the message of recovery, which I thought was really, really beautiful. 
I truly believe that God talks through people and I know that I needed to be there in that moment. I needed to ask her that question and I needed to sit and listen to the response, which I absolutely have done. And I'm feeling a lot more relaxed now. (laughs) I'm sitting back into a state of flow in my life and just allowing things to happen. But at the same time, making sure that I continue showing up for life and taking the actions to show the universe where I want to go and who I want to be. So I hope for anyone else that is listening here today who might be going through a similar experience in early recovery, I hope that this is helpful or even if you're not in recovery but you're in a state of your life where you've got some big unanswered questions, just that idea of remembering that really all we have is today. So what can you do today to make life count? I think that was the key message that I took away from it. And my last little life update for you all is that my boyfriend and I are moving in together. I don't talk a whole lot about my relationship on the podcast and that may be something that changes in the future. As many of you know, if you've listened back to previous episodes, earlier episodes, I am divorced and I started a relationship with someone in recovery Over 12 months ago now, we recently had our one-year anniversary since we started dating, and it's been really interesting to navigate life after divorce. Getting divorced at such a young age, there's not a lot of people talking about it, and it's been a path that I have been trying to navigate with my heart rather than my head. There's a really interesting space where... I think it's probably fear, fear of not allowing myself to open up again for fear of being hurt. But there's also a fear of failure, you know, because when you marry someone and you stand up there in front of all of your friends and family and you commit to forever till death do us part, when that doesn't work out, there is a level of shame that I I have felt anyway from my own experience. And I know that I'm in a really blessed position to still have a great relationship with my ex-husband and I'm still in contact with his friends and his family, which in a way almost makes it tricky when both parties move on, which we both have done. And I suppose there's this wanting to respect the other person, but at the same time, allowing one another to move on into their new respective lives. And I know I've shared on previous episodes with my relationship, this has looked really different to any other relationship I've ever had because we've consciously made the decision to move quite slowly to really get to know one another organically before doing things like move in together or take those next steps. So as we came to the one year mark, we were having the conversation and it just felt like the next natural evolution of our relationship. So that's what's happening. It's it's been interesting. Uh, Part of my self-destructive behavior and patterning has come up at times. And I know that that's just my natural tendency when I'm in fear, I want to run. And that is from childhood. It's a trauma and it's something that I'm really aware of. And the beautiful part of Dating someone who does the work is that they're able to, he's able to hold space for me and allow me to go through those motions and he's not reactive when I'm having a reactive moment, which is 
so, so powerful. And we were just chatting together yesterday how we feel like that's what makes our relationship so strong. So that's the next step, the next chapter. And I think for me, a part of my healing and my growth to know that I don't have to carry the shame. I am worthy of love and of having another relationship after divorce. So again, if anyone's in a similar position, I hear you, I see you, I know what's going on, but just know that you are worthy of love. So that's it from me for this bonus episode. I will be back in your ears on Monday morning with an incredible interview with sober coach Jen Hurst. So make sure you tune in for that one. As I say each and every week on Behind the Smile, when we recover loudly, no one needs suffer in silence. So thank you for joining me here today. Until next time.